Well, today we're finishing up our series through this uh, brief letter, the book of Titus, Paul's letter to his ministry partner, Titus, who is um, is strengthening churches on the island of Crete. And today we're going to be looking at the final section of the letter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. So you can turn there now in your Bibles, or if you want to follow along in the church Bible, that's page 999. Here in this final section, Paul gives uh, some concluding instructions to Titus about priorities for the church, priorities for Christians as individuals, something to devote ourselves to, and then and then Paul concludes with um, some final greetings. So I'm going to read the passage, beginning with verse 8, and you'll notice there right at the beginning, Paul refers to a trustworthy saying that's pointing back to the verses we looked at last week, that, that wonderful uh, statement about the gospel, God's goodness and loving kindness that has appeared in Jesus Christ, that God has saved us, not because of works done by us, but as a a sheer act of mercy and grace, and that he has given us new life in Christ by the renewing work of the Spirit. So, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let me pray. Our God and Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask that you would give us understanding today as we look at this final section of Titus. Would you give us understanding that leads to transformed living? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at the risk of uh, inducing an allergic reaction today, I'm going to be talking about good works. Good works. Now, we're a gospel church. We, we champion doctrines like justification by faith alone, apart from works, that the salvation God gives is free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. But none of that means that works are unimportant in the Christian life. And in fact, Paul, who is the the great defender of justification by faith alone, he says twice here in this passage, uh, once in verse 8 and then again near the end in verse 14, he says twice that 
that Christians, those who rejoice in the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, should devote themselves to good works. So according to Paul, Christians are people who busy themselves with doing good. Doing good in in the church, of course, but Paul's focus is more so doing good in the world. Christians should have a reputation for good works. And here in this passage, as Paul wraps up his letter, he gives two reasons why Christians, why a church ought to devote itself to good works. Reasons why we ought to be devoted to doing good. And and the first is because God's grace compels us to do good. The second is because good works benefit our neighbors. So why devote ourselves to good works? First, because God's grace compels compels us. And second, because good works benefit our neighbors. Grace compels us and good works benefit our neighbors. So first, God's grace compels us. So we as Christian people, we as a Christian church, as those who have uh, embraced the gospel through faith, we, we devote ourselves to doing good to others because of grace. Look at what Paul tells Titus there in verse 8. After he says, remarks about the trustworthy saying, he says, insist on these things. Which things? Well, the, the gospel truths Paul just announced, and we spent time looking at, at this last week, verses 4 to 7, where Paul says, God saved us, not, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And he, he says that God justified us, declared us righteous in Christ by his grace. So Paul rejoices that salvation is gift, and he tells Titus, Insist on these things. Insist on this wonderful good news so that, and there's that purpose statement, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So Paul's logic here, insist on the gospel, speak about the gospel, preach the grace of the gospel, so that Christians will in turn busy themselves doing good to others. Paul is saying that grace, the grace of God we've received through Christ, compels us to do good works. The the grace that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ motivates us to love our neighbors in concrete ways, what Paul calls here good works. Now, when it comes to this idea of good, uh, good works, there are two ditches we can fall into. And, and I want you to just imagine for a second, you're, you're walking down a path, and on either side is a drainage ditch. And if you misstep, you're going to tumble down into one of these ditches, and it's not going to be pretty. You're going you're to break some bones, you're going to be in, in bad shape. And, and on the one side is the ditch of salvation by works, viewing good works as the basis of salvation. And, and again, Paul just says, no way. We saw this last week. God, uh, Salvation by works says, God gives me a list of things to do, and I work my way through the list, and then God pays me with salvation for a job well done. On the other side, so that's one ditch, salvation by works. On the other side is the ditch that says, 
Well, works don't matter at all. Since we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that good works are irrelevant to our lives as Christians. So one view says works are everything, and the other view says, look, works are, they're nothing. Both views are wrong. Both, both of those ditches are, are something you want to stay out of. Paul is, is adamant in, in verse 5 that we saw last week that we're not saved by our works. Not because of works done by us, but God's mercy, His grace, salvation is gift. But, but Paul is equally clear. He can oppose the idea that we're saved by our works, but he can also affirm that God's grace and salvation... That, that free gift that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ leads to a life of good works. You see, good works are the fruit of salvation. It's the, the evidence of a real and living faith. How do you know that a tree is an apple tree? It produces apples. How do you know that your, your faith is real and alive? It produces good works. And so, going back to what we, what we looked at last week when we saw Paul, you know, he says some hard things about us. Remember uh, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, we were once foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, we were full of malice and envy, we, we hated others, we were hated by others. This is who we, we were outside of Christ before we came to faith in Christ, we we were corrupted and polluted by our sin, and, and we deserved God's just sentence of condemnation. And, and then he says, but, you once were, but God, because of his own goodness and kindness, showed us mercy in Christ. He, he forgave our sins. He made us into new people in Christ. And now Paul says, that grace insist on these things. That, that grace that has saved us makes us eager to do good to others. Makes us eager to do good to others. The, the gospel logic goes like this. Because God has done good to us in Jesus Christ, we can now do good to others. Because God has loved us first, we can now love others. Others, because God has shown us kindness and mercy and compassion, we can show kindness, mercy, and compassion to others. Good works, they're not the basis of salvation. Good works are a response to God's grace, a response to God's grace. And it's so critical that we as Christians understand that, that, that good works are response, not not the basis for our standing with God, not the way we get right with God, but a response to His grace to us in Jesus Christ. And it's so critical because if we don't get it, doing good, this call to do good to our neighbors will become a crushing burden. The call to love your neighbor will just overwhelm and destroy you if you think that loving your neighbor or doing good works is some is the way you kind of climb up into God's good graces. You know, how many works are enough? What about the times we fail? What about all the works we do that are that are imperfect and flawed? No. We first look 
to Christ. We, we rest in Christ and His righteousness. We put our hope in His saving work, not ours. And as we do, Paul says, the grace of the Gospel compels us to devote ourselves even, he says, to be careful to devote ourselves to doing good to others. So, so why devote ourselves to doing good? The, the first reason is that grace compels us to. We, we have experienced the grace of God in Christ, and that grace transforms us into people who are eager and ready and willing to bless our neighbors, to love our neighbors and do them good. So first, we devote ourselves to doing good because grace compels us. But Paul also says, second, we, we devote ourselves to doing good to others because good works benefit others. Good works benefit others. If you look at verse 8 again, after telling Titus to insist on these things, he, he says, these things are excellent. These things, these works, are excellent. In other words, they're praiseworthy and profitable for people. Profitable for people, meaning they're useful. Good works bless others. Good works enrich others' lives. Good works promote the common good. And remember, Paul's concern in this section we began looking at last week is our life in the world among non-Christians primarily. And Paul is saying, look, the the good works that Christians do, the the acts of mercy and compassion that that Christians engage in, they, they do good to the world. They promote the common good. We devote ourselves to good works, not to earn God's favor, but because they bless our neighbors. They benefit our neighbors. It's one practical way we can love our neighbors. Now, we need to realize when Paul talks about good works here, he does not mean religious deeds. So, so Paul's not talking here about you know prayer and Bible reading and, and other acts of religious devotion. He's not saying that, that Christians, because of grace, should be diligent and devoted to these religious deeds. I mean, he, he will say things like that elsewhere, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about religious devotion. Paul is talking about acts of love and mercy toward other people. Those are the good works Paul has in mind. If you look down at verses 13 and 14, later in the, the passage, as Paul gives Titus these kind of final you know, greetings and instructions, in verses 13 and 14, he, he tells Titus to meet the practical needs of some traveling uh, gospel workers. Two men, uh, Zenos, the, the lawyer. So there's a few lawyers here among us. You, you, you have someone in Scripture you can, you can look to. Zenos and Apollos. And, and Paul tells Titus, look, these men are going to be coming through Crete, and, and I want you to help them. I want you to make sure that they lack nothing. And then he even says, teach our people, teach the believers to meet urgent needs. So these are the good works Paul is talking about. Acts of mercy and kindness and compassion toward people. You know, Luther once quipped, God doesn't need your good works but your neighbor does. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. In other words, God doesn't need you to do religious acts of devotion to try to secure your place in his kingdom. 
We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't need that, but he sends us into the world as people who have received his grace in Christ. He sends us into the world to do good to our neighbor, to to bless them with the things we do. And, you know, in the early centuries of the church, Christians were known for caring for the sick and poor. Uh, And not just their own. It could be Christian, non-Christian, Christian, pagan, anyone in need. In fact, hospitals, you know, something many of us have, have made use of, they, they were essentially a Christian invention, something that, that Christians developed out of this desire to care for people's bodies. And, and in fact, we have records from Roman officials in the early centuries of the church who, who have seen what's happened with Christians caring for the sick and the poor and not just their own. And they, and they complain that the Christians' compassion actually makes Rome look uh, indifferent to its citizens' needs because hospitals were not something that uh, Rome uh, provided. And so Christians in the early centuries had this reputation there were people who did good to their neighbor, and not just hospitals, but caring for orphans and a multitude of other ways. And this is what Paul means here by good works. So don't hear him saying, you know, because of grace, we should devote ourselves to good works and think he means, well, you need to be at church every Sunday and you need to read your Bible for X number of minutes each day, which are fine and good things, but... He has something different in mind. He's talking about blessing your neighbors. Actions that meet people's needs. And and see, we know what it's like to be helpless and needy. We know. Paul told us last week who, who we were before Christ and just trapped in the bondage of sin, slaves to various lusts and and desires. We know what it's like to be powerless to help ourselves, to be people in need, and and that makes us attuned to the the needs around us, the needs of our neighbors. Grace, God's grace moves us toward need. It moves us to use our resources, our abilities, even our time to bless others. So Paul calls us to this life of devotion to doing good because it it blesses, it benefits neighbors. Now, you notice in in verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul warns Titus, you know, insist on the gospel so that our people, believers, are are devoted to doing good, but, but watch out. Don't get distracted or entangled in things that distract from doing good to your neighbor. And he, he says in verse 9, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And, and we talked a little bit about these things back in chapter 1, and Paul has in mind here just um, obsession with theological trivia. You know, just a, a fixation on things that that are unimportant, things that you know really don't benefit anybody. He says they're unprofitable and worthless. You know, majoring on the minors, uh, arguing, you know, he talks about here, quarrels and dissensions as, as people just debate minutiae, things that, that divide the church. And, and Paul says, avoid these worthless things. And then he even gives instructions in verses 10 and 11 on what to do about 
uh, people who are divisive and divide the church and, and stir up these controversies and arguments. And he, he tells Titus how to deal with them. And, and his point, though, is that he, Paul does not want Titus or the churches Titus is caring for to, to be distracted from doing good. And, and so often that's what happens, right? When we just kind of turn inward as a church and we're debating every issue and we're caught up in, in just these you know, obscure theological controversies and we're focused on ourselves and debating with each other and arguing with each other and our neighbors suffer for it. Our neighbors suffer for it. Paul says these, these things are unprofitable and worthless. So we devote ourselves to doing good. One, because of God's grace. Because He has been so gracious and kind to us and now having experienced His goodness and mercy in Jesus Christ, we are compelled to do good to others. But also because our good works benefit our neighbors. Now, I think there's a tension we experience as Christians when we, when we think about these kinds of things, you know, should we as a church, should we as individual believers, should we focus on people's immediate earthly needs or should we focus on their ultimate need for salvation? Uh, should we be gospel Christians or should we be humanitarian Christians? Should we tell people about Jesus or should we feed starving people? And it's a false dichotomy. It's faulty thinking. We don't have to choose between one or the other. The, the answer to all those questions is yes. Yes, be all those things, all of the above. We're, we're called to care about ultimate need of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. We're also called to care about hunger and poverty and education, and, and the list is almost endless and you just just think about this at, at a common sense level we kind of get ourselves tangled into complex uh, debates about this but just think about it at a common sense level a mother loving and caring for her infant child and, and the child is crying the child is upset the child clearly needs to be fed and imagine that mother saying to her child, I, I know you're hungry. I know it's time to eat. It's been a little while. And I could fill your belly. But what you need most is for your soul to be fed with God's Word. And so I'm going to read the Bible to you. I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous example, I know. I know, it's a ridiculous example. But it, but it shows up that faulty thinking that would make us choose between ultimate needs and, and lesser needs, other needs. The, the point is human beings are embodied souls. And God calls us to care and love whole people, not just a part of them, their body or their soul, but persons, human persons. And if you think about it, this is how God loves this is how God has loved us. This is how God loves His world. Uh, God loves in that ultimate way. You know, maybe the most uh, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There's 
there's concern about ultimate need, and God gives His Son to meet that need. But, but God also shows love to His creatures in a, a million other ways. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus says about God, He says that God makes His Son rise on the evil and the good. God sends His rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God just indiscriminately showers His common grace blessings on the world. The, the shining sun, the rain that, that helps the crops grow and, and renews the earth. God just pours out these blessings on all kinds of people, Christians, non-Christians, good, evil, those who turn to Him in faith and trust, and those who constantly shake their fist at Him. God cares for their, their physical needs, not just their spiritual needs. And, and Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount, He says that there should be a family resemblance between our Father in Heaven who does good to all, and His children, that we're called to love in the way that God loves. And and let me just highlight two implications of of this. First, the, the Bible does not collapse our duty to love our neighbors down into one single activity. So, so the Bible doesn't shrink down the call to love our neighbors, to be devoted to doing good to others, down to one single thing. And neither should we. You know, the Bible teaches us to do good to our neighbors in a multitude of ways. You know, yes, tell people about Jesus when you can, where you can. I don't hear anything I'm about to say as dismissing the importance of evangelism, the importance of speaking about the gospel to others. That that is one way we love our neighbors, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ and how God has sent him to rescue us from our sin and restore us to himself. That is loving, but also serving on the local school board, volunteering at the, the public library, maybe uh, doing grocery shopping for the elderly person next door who can't get out to the store. And, and the opportunities to be devoted to good are nearly endless. Nearly endless. That, that's the first implication, that, that loving our neighbor, doing good, is, is a big calling. It involves all kinds of activities, not just speaking the gospel. But there's a second implication, and it's, it's this, that Doing good to your neighbor, which Paul says we ought to be devoted to. Doing good to our neighbor, which involves evangelism, but could be many other things as well. It's valuable and important, even apart from any spiritual benefit the person might receive. So those good works that that Paul calls us to, those, those things, those acts of mercy and compassion that enrich and bless other people's lives, they have value and significance in God's kingdom even apart from any spiritual benefit the person receives. You know, again, we're tempted to adopt faulty thinking. You know, just these these stark choices that an activity either has ultimate significance or it has no significance whatsoever. And that's just too simplistic. That, that is too 
reductionistic. That flattens out the Bible's teaching about loving neighbors. Doing good to others. Being devoted to doing good simply because those people are image bearers, people created in the image of God, and because that is how God is, that God just showers common grace blessings on His creatures, doing good for those reasons brings Him glory. Brings Him glory. You know, feeding the hungry in the name of Christ because they are human beings and need food to survive, whether it leads to gospel conversations or not, is a good and valuable and significant thing in God's eyes. And, and there's all kinds of other you know, ways this could be done. Practicing medicine because you want to improve people's quality of life. Helping children at an after-school reading program because it, it will set them up for much uh, success later in life. You know, all kinds of practical things that don't you know, look like a missionary going to the mission field and, and laying down his or her life for the sake of preaching the gospel, these things still matter. These things are significant and important in the kingdom of God. When, when we do them out of love for God and, and love for our neighbor, uh, they have significance whether anyone's converted or not. And so living in this way, and this has been part, part of Paul's burden here in the book of Titus, when we live in this way, Paul would say we're adorning the gospel. We're showing off the, the beauty of who God is, his, his gracious love, his generous love toward the world and the people he created. And so as Christians, Paul says, you know, there, there are, a lot of things we could be devoted to. A lot of things we could busy ourselves with. And Paul tells Titus, make sure the, the believers there, make sure they're devoted to good works. Devoted to good works because of God's grace, His, His kindness, His love, His mercy, His goodness toward us in Christ. Because His grace, but also because of our neighbors. Because our good works benefit our neighbors. Now, just as I wrap up here, I, I need to make you uncomfortable for a minute. And, and I have had to be uncomfortable while working on the sermon this week. So I am sharing uh, the discomfort with you, but only for a moment. Is grace producing in you a life of good works? Paul says here, these gospel realities ought to lead to lives of, of doing good to others? Is grace producing in you a life of good works? Are you growing in, in practical expressions of love toward your neighbors? And this is the hard part, right? I, I find it's very easy to agree with Paul here. Yes, grace should compel me to do good. We love because God first loved us. Yes, true, good, I believe it. The hard part is putting it into practice. Now, if we could ask Paul, you know, Mr. Apostle, how do we grow in doing good to others? Uh, do you know how he would answer? We don't have to guess. It's right here in the passage, verse 8. Paul says, insist on the gospel. Insist on the gospel. Emphasize 
the gospel. And that applies to those of us who preach and teach. We have a responsibility to show how the gospel is the power for living this way. That that connection between God's grace and, and how we live we have the responsibility to show how it motivates. God's grace motivates doing good to others. It applies to you also, you know, to encourage each other with the gospel, to speak with each other about God's goodness and His mercy and how you've seen it in your life, how you've seen it in the lives of people you love, and then to, to come up with ways, you know, how could we show that kindness and mercy to others? How could we do good to others in light of the good that God has done good to us, and, and as you're gripped by these things that, that Paul says we have to insist on, as we're gripped by God's love toward us in Christ and His kindness and compassion toward us, your life, Paul says, will start to look different. The, the grace of God that has saved us and made us new in Christ transforms us into Christians who more and more are devoted to doing good, transforms us into a church that is more and more eager to bless our neighbors in in a whole variety of ways. So let me pray for us that that God's grace would indeed have that, that effect in us as a church. Our God and Father, we thank You for Your generous love that you've shown to us in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we ask that you would cause that glorious good news to get down deep inside us, that you would help us to reflect on and emphasize these gospel realities in in our lives individually and in our relationships with each other as as believers, and that the, the result would be that we would shine brightly as lights in this world, people who do good to our neighbors, people through whom you receive glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.